Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Tribe Supper. I'm your host, Andrew Muscope, and as you can see, joined by Craig Johns. We are live on Facebook, so if you're watching live, do get your questions into the comments. I'll get them over to Craig. And if you're listening later on the podcast channel, please remember to like and follow Tribe Supper through your podcast provider. Leave us a rating and review as well. Totally free to do, just means with every new episode, you get a notification to say, ready to be downloaded or listened to that's the homework out of the way um craig we have been quite positive over recent weeks and with you know good reason because Millsbury have been in good form um but the defeat of sheffield united scoreline was pretty bad did it did it relate to the performance what went wrong yeah, one hundred percent. And and Chris Wilder, you know, admitted that after the game as well. Um, he he said, you know, that he had no complaints with with the result or the scoreline. Um, really, really strange, baffling night. Um, because you know, it's just not something that we've we've seen coming. Really, as you say, Middlesbrough have been in good form. They've been playing well. Um, I appreciate that the away form has been iffy, but even you know, in, if you take the games. You know, certainly the last three before Sheffield United away from home. If you take those games in isolation, there were positives to take from all of them, and, and certainly you know QPR where they drew two to Bristol uh, City where where they lost. Um, they dominated both of those games, um, and, and, and ultimately you know shot themselves in the foot with sloppy goals down at Barnsley. The, it was a mad kind of first 15 minutes. They were two 0 down. Um, sloppy defensive errors but then you know kind of got back on track and just couldn't get themselves back in the game because they've given themselves a mountain to climb um, so yeah so the, the, talking about the away form um, is, is a bit difficult to do because of that but but certainly you know they've been in good form they've been playing well uh, and then the turn up to, to Sheffield United on Tuesday night it, what was you know a really significant game takeaway the, the subplot of, of Chris Wilder going back to Bramall Lane for the first time, um, you know, take away that it was still a huge game uh, between, at the time, the team in sixth and the team in seventh in the championship because, of course, you know, the race for the playoffs is so hotly contested at the moment. And uh, just Borough were, were, were outclassed and outgunned all over the pitch. Um, they did look leggy. They looked very tired after what's been a... Uh, a very hectic period for them in terms of games, which have been coming thick and fast uh, recently. Um, and, and and yeah, Sheffield United just looked like a side that wanted it more and, and, and ultimately outclassed Borough all over the pitch, really. We're going to talk about Wilder's reaction after the game because some of the quotes are quite strong. But you mentioned there where the two teams were in the league and how important this was for the final picture of, of the season and where Borough may or may not finish. And then you look at the game coming this weekend against Millwall. You know, they're just two points off Borough. They've won five out of the last six. They, they, they drew against Blackburn to see that winning run come to an end, although not, it obviously didn't get defeated. They're another side like Sheffield United and like Middlesbrough who've been in good form. So it's another big test and another test against the side where, you know, if they lose, they'll get they'll get overtaken by Millwall. So this this is another huge game against a direct rival for those playoff spots. That's it. Yeah, the, the, I mean, you get to this stage of the season, and, and they're all important when you've got something to play for, like Borough have. But like you said, it, it adds more significance when it is against 
you know somebody directly rivaling you for for one of those positions um like you say Millwall in in very good form Borough on the road you know it's it's kind of like a monkey on the back now isn't it it's it's building up despite what I said about the context of those away games you look at it and it's one point from a possible 15 on the road um and and, and that becomes as I say like a monkey on the back and, and and you know the kind of the mentality of that and the psychology of that starts to play its part and 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 um you know, Middlesbrough just need to get that kind of hoodoo off the back, really, and and, and find a way to win away from home. Um, because, you, like as you say, it is it's a huge game, and and you don't want to kind of you know give you give your rival let you let your rivals leapfrog you in the table because uh, it's going to make your ultimate uh, goal to 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 make the playoffs yourself even harder. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned there the the away form has been been dreadful and you look at when the next home game comes around we'll not talk about the FA Cup just yet but in the league I mean you're what you, you've got uh Fulham on the on the 6th of April and, and before that you've obviously got the game as we talked there um against Millwall and then you have Birmingham coming after that so they're on the road for a little bit and you would think that the, the task to, to get a win on the road is one thing but then it's kind of it's got the other elements of this is a team Millwall that's in and around you. As we mentioned, you lose. It's a lot worse than losing against someone down the bottom, perhaps, given what it could do at the league table. But also the fact they got thumped off Sheffield United and played so badly. So there's all these elements which makes Saturday a little bit harder than perhaps it would have been had they lost 1-0 and, and, and performed well. Yeah, and, and it is a strange one because, you know, we mentioned that away form, but we shouldn't ignore the home form either. You know, the, uh, Pete Luton, who are another directly off rival, um, just gone Saturday. Um, and, and, and that was a ninth consecutive win at the Riverside, eight in the row in the league, which which equals the Riverside record. They've only ever done that once before um, at the Riverside until now. That was in the 1997-98 promotion winning season. Um, and, and and yeah, so you know, at the minute that home form is is propping them up and, and ensuring they are still in the playoff mix. Um, and but but not only that, you know, that that is proof that you know this is a group of players who are good enough and and, and you know and have shown throughout those eight league victories at the Riverside that they have different qualities to be able to win. You look at the Luton game and the Coventry game, for example. There were games where you know they had to. Grind out results. They have to find different qualities and, and, and stick the neck on the line, stick the body on the line, to to grit it out and bite down on the gumshill to get a, a tight result. But then they've had games against you know Bournemouth, who'll be right up there at the end of the season. It'll be you know criminal if they don't finish second and go up automatic promotion, given the the business they did in January. Nottingham Forest, who were the informed Championship team when they visited the Riverside. Millsborough played both of those sides off the pitch. You know, that's what they are capable of on the day. Uh, under Chris Wilder, they've become a wonderful kind of passing team. Uh, so then then you think back, you know, revert back to the away form and, you know, what's happening? Why why is it happening? It's, it's strange because as I say, you look at QBR, um, you know, they dominated that game and it was just a couple of errors that cost them goals. Uh, Bristol City, they were brilliant in possession in the middle of the park considered two sloppy goals and for whatever reason, you know, created 21 chances and just couldn't finish the ball on the day. Barnsley went 2-0 down inside 15 minutes and and ultimately give themselves a mountain to climb. Uh, still 
you know, after that kind of were in the assertiveness of that game. They were the team pressing after going 2-0 down. But what that led to was going 3-0 down when when you know Dykesdale left back as the as the final man as Borough were desperately trying to get one but go back. Dykesdale makes an error, they're throwing goal to 3-0. And you know, to the credit, they showed characteristics to to make it a nervy ending, if you like, and pulled it back to 3-2. But but ultimately sloppy goals um you know cost them in that one and, and and as i say again you look at all four sheffield united goal well maybe not all four because there was the fourth was a, a wonderful finish from gibbs white who was a lovely little back heel flick um that was a very very good goal but certainly the first three all avoidable goals coming from errors um and and it's just strange you know it's hard to put your finger on why is this happening and uh, particularly away from home it's not really happening at home uh is it a mentality thing i don't know uh obviously these are the things that that chris wilder's you know keen to look at and, and and keen to get right but i think equally we have got to remember that you know we are still four months only four months into chris wilder's tenure i think one of the major factors and one of the major disappointments of of tuesday night at sheffield united was how often they went long now, you know, anybody who watches Middlesbrough regularly since Chris Wilder took over knows that Middlesbrough are no longer a long ball team. Um, now, whether that was, you know, kind of, again, a mentality thing, Chris Wilder kind of spoke after the game about not being brave in possession. Did Sheffield United just put them under a bit of pressure and, you know, Borough players kind of lost the nerve, lost the bottle a bit, lost the trust in the process, which, you know, it's a very new style. It's a very new process. And, and, and you know, I wouldn't say we're getting carried away because we've got reason to be so confident about the process, but we maybe forget how, you know, how soon into the process we are. And these players are still learning. These players are still growing in, in belief, if you like, on their abilities to play in that way. And, and, maybe with the pressure that Sheffield United put under the, um, you know, the home crowd at Bramall Lane, as it was, the, the, the just seemed to, if you like, revert the type, uh, which is, that's probably a harsh way of putting it because I'm not saying, you know, it's probably not right to say that it's their type to go along, but it's what they were used to under a previous management, of, you know, for, for a long time. Um, they were playing a long ball style of football and, and, and looking to get the ball up to the strikers as quickly as possible. Of course, with the changes that Chris Wilder's implemented in the January transfer window, they don't have centre forwards who can be target men. You know, pumping the ball up to to Aaron Connolly all night up against John Egan. Poor Aaron Connolly had absolutely no chance, and and it just meant you know it was constantly turned over. What what they do usually have Middlesbrough when they do you know if they ever do go along, even if they don't win the initial ball, they're normally quite reactive to getting onto the second balls. But as I mentioned earlier, it looked quite a leggy performance. The midfield weren't quite as you know agile and quite as on it as what they normally are. And and so second balls they weren't picking up and um and they were quite sloppy when they did have possession as well. So, you know, all in all, as I say, it has been a hectic period that was Middlesbrough's 10th game since the start of, of February. Of course, two of them went an extra half an hour um, against Man United and Tottenham in the FA Cup. Mentally draining as well, you know, going good, pushing for the playoffs, all the kind of hype and positivity around is mentally draining. The FA Cup run, all the hype and, and everything about that, mentally draining. And it did look like it took its toll at Sheffield United. I think the last time 
on this pod, we, we talked about, I can't remember what game it was, but Middlesbrough being beaten. And I said to you, you know, it's important that we, we put it in a context of the rest of the results Chris Wilder's had, you know, where they are in the, in the league table, a good chance of, you know, getting into the playoffs. And you can say the same about this game. However, when you read Chris Wilder's comments, and I appreciate they were directly after the game, so emotions are going to be running high, it, it, it doesn't strike me as someone who's kind of going, oh, it's just a little blip. And I'm not saying he's going the total other extreme, but what I am saying, he was obviously very, very frustrated. Maybe a little part to do with the fact he was going back to Sheffield night as well. Um, I'll just read out some of the, the, the quotes um, from Chris Wilder. He said there were no positives. He was shocked at how poor the players were. And the key one for me is, you know, it's a, it's a real eye-opener. What did you get out of what he had to say after the game? Well, I think he's he's been fairly consistent in in you know when they've when they have lost games, uh, you know he's 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 very eager to remind everybody as 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 I just have that, you know this is a journey, this is a process, and and we are still very early in the process, and and in many ways it's it's a credit to Chris Wilder that you know we we don't come to expect performances like that too often anymore. We're more used to seeing Borough play well, pass the ball well, um, you know, assert control in games and, and dictate the tempo, et cetera, et cetera. When they don't, it doesn't look good and we don't like it, but it's because we're not as used to that anymore um, as well. I think, you know, that, if you like, that 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 magnifies it more and makes it feel worse. Uh, obviously, there's no getting around. Tuesday night was was a terrible performance, but you know that 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 journey is something that Wilder is keen to always speak about after defeats because you know he has had only one January transfer window. January transfer windows are never you know easy to to work in anyway. And if you look at what he did do in that window, Boyd Mons came in as a permanent, but he's more of a a long-term project. He's not, if you like, first team ready at the moment. He's he's being coached and and, and brought in more longer term. Uh, Riley McGree was the the only player that they were able to sign on a permanent long-term basis. Um, and 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 naturally, you know, there's you know players within that squad who Wilder has inherited who, in the long run may drop out and may not be part of this journey anymore. And Wilder's been honest about that since the start. Ultimately, between now and the end of the season, you know, those players have, a, a, if you like, a challenge on their hands to convince Chris Wilder that they, they do deserve to be on the long-term journey because regardless of what happened on Tuesday night, this still does, as, as I wrote before the game, as I wrote after the Luton game, this still does feel like a football club going in the right direction. Um, you know the kind of changes they've made behind the scenes and off the field, uh, the 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 management team and the way that you know they've implemented a, a really attractive style of football and and how quickly they have implemented that on the first team squad, um, and how well they've got them playing. This all it all comes together, you know, on top of that the fan base. But I don't think that's new. I think the fan base and and you know the support they're getting has, has, has always been there. That's always been fantastic. But throw it into the mix because it definitely helps to just you know create this feeling of this this bubble and it's just rising and rising and you know it's going somewhere. Middlesbrough is going somewhere. That's how it feels. Uh, really, really positive feeling, regardless of what happened at Sheffield United. The key is that that could take a bit of time. You know, even when Chris Wilder first arrived and we were in November, 
plenty of points, plenty of games uh, still to play. You know, his, his, his kind of stance on promotion this season or even playoffs was clear. If the doors open, we'll step through it. But it was a medium to long-term project. This always was. Uh, and, and so, you know, if Middlesbrough were to miss out this season, it, what, what he will have had is, from November till May, a chance to really assess the Middlesbrough squad, what's needed, what isn't needed, who isn't needed, uh, what changes need to be made, etc., etc. Going into a summer transfer window where, you know, after settling the the case with Mel Morris and Derby County, after probably selling Jed Spence in the summer, which I think we're going to come on and, and discuss a bit about, um, and, 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 and other things like that, they're going to be in a good financial position to attack the summer transfer window. The, 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 they're already, you know, they've been prepping for the summer transfer window since before the January transfer window opened because summer's always your big one. Summer's when you really, really can do work on your squad. So by the time we get to that summer transfer window, you know, Wilder has a clear picture, a really clear picture of, of what he needs, what he wants and, and how he's going to take Middlesbrough forward. And, um, you know, I think a, cu- a couple of weeks back now, I asked Chris Wilder about kind of preparation for the summer transfer window. And and, and he, he said they have been planning since before January. But I asked him if, if it was difficult at all to kind of, you know, plan for the summer transfer window when you're not quite certain what division you're going to be in. You know, there could be championship, there could be Premier League. And I think he's, he's, his answer then was was very kind of, you know, indicative of, 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 of the kind of thinking behind the journey. He, he didn't by any means say that, you know, Premier League promotion is, is, is a non-starter. But what he said is, at the moment, we're planning as we're planning. And if, come May, we are a Premier League team, then we'll react accordingly to that. Uh, and it'll be a very happy, uh, good problem to have, which to me essentially says the club are planning as though they are a championship team next season. Um, because ultimately, you know, even if they were to make the playoffs, the playoffs are going to be difficult to get through as well. They're a complete lottery. So most of the attention right now is going on this medium to long-term, you know, plan, this medium to long-term journey, project, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and I think even if it weren't to happen this season, this club feels well-positioned and, you know, well, things are well-planned out to make a real good go next season. You're on mute, Muzz. <laughs> Joys of life. Sorry, I'm on mute there. I was just saying, plenty positive about, you know, you're going to lose games here or there. Yes, the performance exactly, wasn't, yeah. wasn't up to scratch. But, you know, I'm sure this week, um, you know, he's he's let the players know, know in certain terms it wasn't good enough. And you'll speak to him on Friday in his presser and we'll probably learn about um, how they've prepared for this game. Because as we said earlier, this is not um, an easy game against Millwall. They are in really good form and it's not really a game you want to kind of be going into on the back of such a defeat. But at the same time, you've got to be beating these teams around you. So it's, a, it's another test for Middlesbrough and I'm sure um, Wilder will be making that point to his players that like you have to go out and beat. You, know, you didn't beat Sheffield United, but you beat Luton, go out and beat Millwall and keep yourself very much in the picture. Yeah, um, and, and just just adding to that as well, you know, I mean, like you touch a touch wood. I am quite superstitious, so touch wood. Um, you know, so far, Middlesbrough have never lost two on the bounce under Chris Wilder. Every time they have lost, there's been a reaction immediately after. I think, as I mentioned before, you know, that kind of 
you know, the process and the style and, and, and the belief and trust in that, in that style. Uh, I would imagine on the back of Sheffield United where, you know, the kind of the reverted to, to the long balls, etc., which is, you know, what we were more used to seeing under the previous manager be ahead of this game, you know, it'll have been hammered home about, you know, that's not how we play anymore. We, we yeah. play the ball, we play out of defence, we play it on the ground. And and that leaves you more positive that the players are then going to go to Millwall and, and implement that. What do you think happened there in that case? I mean, I don't I don't imagine you might correct me that Chris Wilder in the dressing room before Sheffield United said, look, we'll just tweak it slightly. Let's just put the ball along. Is it a case you think the players just kind of thought, well, this isn't work, like just didn't have the confidence that they could pass it around Sheffield United? I mean, in that case... You know, do they need someone on the pitch to kind of say, "Look, we've got this ideology, we've got this identity, we're sticking to it," you know, and we're not going to go along. Yeah, that, that, that's the it's the difficult thing to kind of work out. Uh, um, as I say, because you know, even Chris Wilder said he didn't see it coming himself after, um, and and you know, it, it possibly is you know for me like a, a bravery, a, a trust issue in terms of you know like a belief issue. Uh, so we are still early in this journey and perhaps it wasn't working early on at Sheffield United. Sheffield United pressed, got in the faces and, and and you know, as a result, Middlesbrough probably just started going long uh, out of kind of being under pressure and, and, and just, as I say then, you know, panicking a little really and, and losing losing belief in, in what has worked so well for them. Um, so, so yeah, it was a really strange one, and I, and I do think you know it, it's harsh on Lee Peltier, who I've got to say has, you know, whenever he's been called upon, he's usually been very, very reliable. Um, you know, he, he's got his limitations. We can all say that he, he's not an attacking force, but he's always a reliable defensive force. But he had to come into the back three on on Tuesday night with with Dykesdale out. He was ill, and and that did really really disrupt things. I feel uh, Dykesdale has been growing in confidence as the week goes on. I know we mentioned that mistake at Barnsley. That was you know one that he quickly put behind him though, with a really positive uh, display against Tottenham and and then against Luton. Um, you know he's he's kind of he's he's galloping out of defence with the ball really well. He's getting forward, and you know as the weeks have progressed, we've seen more and more of the the overlapping centre back style that become um, synonymous with with Sheffield United when Chris Wilder was there. We've seen that happen more and more at Middlesbrough as the weeks have gone on, and and Dykesdale has been you know so good at that. I think when Wilder first came and we were discussing overlapping centre backs, we all kind of thought about Paddy McNair and, and how good and how much it would suit him. And don't get me wrong, he's doing it. Uh, and he's been fine at it as well. But Dykesdale's taken to it brilliantly. And I, I guess he probably should. He's 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 a he's a full back by trade really converted into a, a centre back in a in a in a three. He looks good as a centre back in a three. Uh, but as a as a full back he should be able to get forward competently. Um and but he does and, and of course that right hand side has been you know Middlesbrough's most positive kind of area of the pitch with with Isaiah Jones excellent as well and and Matt Crooks joins in to kind of make that a really strong area on the pitch for Burr and and I feel you know taking Dykesdale out of that equation Lee Pelty had to come in he struggled to keep up with Gibbs White when he was faced up with Gibbs White uh, for Pierce Gibbs White was was tremendous on the night by the way a very good player Morgan Gibbs White. Um, 
he, he, he was never going to touch Billy Sharp physically. But then, you know, Deal Fry, who usually so reliable, uh, Deal Fry was well off it on, on Tuesday night at Sheffield United. And, you know, Billy Sharp was absolutely superb. Apparently, uh, he was never going to touch him. And then, as I say, he has his limitations. So he, he never quite managed to, to you know, add, add any attacking intent or impetus to, to Middlesbrough's game, which Dykesdale normally would. And, and that all plays its part in kind of, you know, building you know, a confidence throughout the team and also moving Middlesbrough up the pitch. If Dykesdale had been in there and galloping forward like he does, that would have perhaps taken Sheffield United players out of the equation and, and kind of, you know, dropped them deeper. As it happened, Middlesbrough started to drop deeper because the hat do. And, you know, that all plays its part. And I feel like, you know, that, that, that enforced change of Dykesdale coming out certainly, you know, had an impact. Although I do appreciate Wilder saying after, you know, what one player taking one player out shouldn't have that implication, shouldn't have that impact on the team. You know, Dykesdale can't equate for the sloppy passes, for the, the lack of reaction to the second balls, as I mentioned earlier, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Dykesdale's not going to be able to do that all himself by being in the team. But it is, as I say, a big factor in, in, in terms of, you know, the territorial kind of uh, play on the pitch and, and perhaps forcing Sheffield United back, etc. So I think it did have an impact. Um, do you foresee any changes this this Saturday against against Melbourne? I mean, given his comments, you, you would one might imagine that he will look to change change it up. But then I wonder, you know, you take the performance and then you take what we think is his best team and how many changes can he really make? I mean, what do you see happening when that starting eleven team sheet drops? That that's going to be the interesting thing, isn't it? I think for me. Um, you know, the 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 uh, you know fitness and conditioning of the players is going to be the, the key. Uh, because as I say, they did look leggy. Uh, that 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 can't be denied. And as I say, it was a it was a tenth game uh in, in, in since the start of February for them. So it's been a hectic period and, and other than the, the strikers, the they haven't really changed much. It's been you know, the, the, the first nine on the team sheet has been fairly consistent other than when it's been enforced. I'd, I'm, I'd be surprised, based on what Wilder said, uh, kept his cards close to his chest with it, but I'd be surprised if Riley McGree is back for Saturday, certainly back enough to start. Um, Bowler did start um, on, on, on Tuesday night. He didn't particularly do anything wrong. Um but I'd be surprised to see him after a fair, you know, I think it was three months out. I'd be surprised to see him start two in a week. So it wouldn't uh, be a surprise to see Neil Taylor come back in at left wing back. Hopefully Dykesdale is back and, and he'd go straight back into the, the back three. Um, and, and and then beyond that, you know, there's not much to do, as I say, with with McGree, um, probably not going to be back. Um Saliki played last night for the under-23s against Arsenal. Uh, that went to extra time. So good minutes into his legs, but you know, I think it showed at Barnsley that uh, I'd be very surprised if we see him again at all for Burr, to be honest, in the first team action. But stranger things has happened. But uh, but yeah, it feels like in terms of changes, it's he's limited really at the minute with what he can do other than up front. Uh, which we do know he does rotate a lot, and, and it wouldn't be a surprise uh, if there was some rotation with the forwards. But in general, if you look back to his team selections after defeats, 
he's stuck to very close to the same 11 and his message has always been you know go and go and show me a reaction and and they always have Mm, well, they're going to need a reaction. And we have got a few people in the comments asking about the striking situation. Simon here asks, why is Connolly getting played when we have Josh Coburn? Ron says, uh, should start Coburn um, until he get in and help him get used to uh, the full matches, he says. Um, yeah, so just talk to us then about that. Do you, I mean, do you think Coburn could be in line for a start this weekend? Or do you think... While they're still just trying to bet him into into the the first team picture proper, yeah, I think I think that's that's a better thing. And, and Corbett was another we mentioned that under twenty threes cup game last night, and, and and that went to extra time. And Corbett played in that one as well. And you know, I think it's it's easy to forget. He don't get me wrong; he's done absolutely brilliantly, and he's got this excellent games per goal ratio. But um, he is still a young boy; he's still nineteen. He's still developing physically. And not only that, he's now learning this new style and what Warner, uh, what Wilder wants of him, uh, having broke through and played so well under Neil Warnock's style. Um, I can un- I do understand the clamour. And, and, and I asked Chris Wilder about this. And, um, you know, he, he didn't take too kindly to the question, it's fair to say. Um, and, and he, he, you know, he kind of bit back that, you know, he, he sees Josh in, in, in training every day and they are working with him, they're developing him, but ultimately he picks the team. And if he thought Josh Coburn should be starting, then he'd be starting. Um, and I think, you know, I think ultimately I, I, I can understand why there is that clamour from supporters to see more of him, uh, particularly when, you know, Aaron Connolly and, and Philaren Balligan, as of yet, haven't quite hit the heights we hoped of them. You then look at that picture and think they're ultimately lone players, and and you you're giving them minutes and developing them to go and play for somebody else when your own academy striker, you know, is there and not playing as much. I can appreciate that argument, but there is still something to play for this season. Uh, you know, we're not we're not kind of throwing this out the window, and it's easy to see a Josh Coburn scored that game, a goal against Tottenham, and don't get me wrong, it was a fantastic moment. He's got a good games per goal ratio. But then what about the performance at Mansfield, for example? Uh, a very, you know, physical, strong side like Millwall will be on Saturday. And, and you know, it was a really difficult afternoon for him at Mansfield in the FA Cup third round for, for Josh. He, he started in that game and, um, you know, he, he was kind of physically bullied for most of the afternoon because he is still developing. Uh, I don't want to, you know, be overly critical of, of the young boy because he's a fantastic talent, but he is still physically developing and he is still learning Chris Wilder's style. Uh, you know, we, we I've talked about the, the rotation of the strikers. That that comes because of, you know, the, the kind of intensity of the press that Chris Wilder asks of them. They're constantly going. So it's very rare you see Chris Wilder's two strikers complete 90 minutes of football because of how much he asks of them. Uh, now, Josh Corburn is, is you know, not used to that kind of intensity. Um, and, and and so, yeah, it, it would be very, very difficult to to expect that of him so far. Um, yeah, I'm just saying that comment come up now from Ron, at least use him as a sub more often. And, and yeah, I can I can appreciate that. I think, you know, to be fair to Wilder, he, he, Corburn's always on the bench and, and he does come on. And, fairly often when he's needed he's came on a few times at home 
um, when he, when he's been needed, and you know Tottenham was an example of that, and he scored the goal. I think I think certainly as a, as a sub, he's a very good option, and, and as we see, certainly knows where the back of the net is. But I think as a starter right now, uh, I just still think there's more development there from from Josh's point of view before he's at that point. Um, let's just go on to the the Chelsea game. I know it's a few uh, a few weeks away the um, the FA Cup tie. Obviously, today, time recording, big news. Chelsea owner Roman Van Richel obviously is trying to sell the club. He's been sanctioned by the UK government, which means his assets will be frozen. And within what's happened, it's come out that Chelsea can't sell any tickets other than to season ticket holders. So obviously, there's now a big discussion to whether they will bring any fans to this tie. I mean, Craig, have you got any understanding of what this means for that FA Cup tie? Yeah, so at the minute it is a really, really unclear picture. Um, what we do know is that Chelsea put so many tickets on sale yesterday. They had a, a phase one of the ticket sale for the Riverside FA Cup quarterfinal match um, yesterday. Don't know how many tickets they sold in that phase, but obviously they won't have put the full allocation in that phase. They were meant to go back on sale at 10 a.m. this morning. Um, we, we recorded this on Thursday. For anybody not watching watching live, so 10 a.m. on Thursday, I'm not listening live, I should say. Um, yeah, so and 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 they didn't go on sale as planned because of these sanctions from the government, which are you know the the aim of them is to to ensure that Roman Abramovich doesn't make any money uh from Chelsea Football Club that could feed back to Russia after their invasion of of the of Ukraine. Uh, we obviously horrible scenes over there at the moment, and um. And, and, and football is, of course, secondary to that. Um, but it's in terms of the football and, and where our, our interest lies with Middlesbrough, it's really uncertain. Um, the the tickets that they will have sold yesterday will be valid. Um, so so any tickets sold yesterday, there will be Chelsea fans at the Riverside uh, for that FA Cup quarterfinal. But as of yet, it's uncertain whether they're going to be able to sell the full allocation, it it, it 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 gets a bit guessworky from there. But in terms of you know implications on Borough, I don't think there'll be any negative implications for them. Um, in terms of finances and and selling tickets, what happens in the FA Cup, as many will remember from Middlesbrough's um, fourth round tie at Old Trafford, the away club buys an allocation from the home club. Uh, so in that case at Old Trafford. Middlesbrough took a bit of a risk uh, because they wanted to give as many of their fans an opportunity uh, to, to go to Old Trafford as possible. So they took the highest possible allocation of, of just under 9,500. Uh, and, and, and that meant, you know, buying that full allocation from Manchester United, paying for it, and then selling it to their supporters. And and what it meant was if you, if you take that full allocation, don't sell out you lose out financially because you've still got to pay for all of those tickets. Um, I'm not sure how many, to be honest. I was trying to find an answer, but I couldn't on how many Chelsea Chelsea took for, for, for the Riverside match. I don't know. But presumably what will have had to have happened is they've taken whatever allocation they have, paid Middlesbrough for that, uh, and then it's up to them to sell them. Um, so, so whether or not Chelsea can sell them or not, Middlesbrough still should get you know the full amount from from whatever allocation Chelsea took. 
you know, because there's been talk of Chelsea perhaps, so they're not gaining financially, giving away the tickets for free uh, to supporters during a ballot or whatever. Uh, all unclear, all guesswork at the moment, but, but in terms of financially, Middlesbrough shouldn't lose out. There is also the factor that in the FA Cup, uh, gate receipts are shared, of course. It's not you know, it's not your usual home fan take take gate receipt like it is in the league. It's normally split 45-45 uh, between the two teams. And then the 10%, the other 10% goes into a central pot uh, from the FEA prize money, etc. etc. Um so it's it's not certain at the moment what will happen there. Will it's it's almost certain to be a sellout uh, at the riverside. Um will will Middlesbrough perhaps get a larger chunk of that money? Uh, will will the FA take a larger chunk of that money? Will will Chelsea's chunk of that money kind of be put into a pot and frozen and, until you know such a time that 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 these sanctions are no longer hanging over the the club and the owner? It, it, again, another issue that needs to be sorted. I know there have been some conversations about could could Middlesbrough potentially get more tickets? Um, you know, kind of if if Chelsea haven't sold that many. Could could those tickets come back to Middlesbrough and be sold uh, to Middlesbrough fans, given a bigger you know home attendance? It's a possibility. Uh, the club updated earlier this afternoon that twenty one thousand tickets had been sold over twenty one thousand. So there's still about ten thousand tickets from the home section still to be sold. Of course, until I think it's, I'm right in saying Saturday, um, season card holders still have their their seats reserved and have until then to buy them uh so you know th- those season card seats won't become available for purchase and, until that point um but yeah at this point there's still about ten thousand tickets still to sell from a home home point of view so there's kind of at the minute no need to think about those chelsea seats but i'm certain it will be a sellout um from a home point of view uh, and then as i say it's just a lot of uncertainties at the moment, but certainly in terms of, you know, how will it impact Middlesbrough? I, I don't think it'll be, it, it can't be negatively. I can't see any way it would negatively affect Middlesbrough. Yeah, the grand general sale on Tuesday, the 15th of March, is 5pm. I'm loving that, in fact, yeah, I'm loving that, that when the, when they come down on points, it's a 5pm start. Um, most clubs tend to do it bright and early in the morning, so 5pm is uh, refreshing to see. But yeah, as you said, Craig, you know, um, obviously, lots of interest in this. We'll get some, hopefully, get some clarity in the next few days. But when you actually consider the bigger picture, it matters very little to what is going on over in Ukraine. Um, just horrendous. Some of the, well, all the scenes you see on the news and in the papers. And uh, we wish everyone who is over there the very best. Um, we're going to finish with a little discussion on Jed Spence, unbelievably linked to Bayern Munich, um, which is quite the link. I mean, he's been good. Has he been that good? Um, I can't. I can't say. I've been watching him week in, week out. But certainly, uh, Nottingham Forest fans have been raving about him. And and, and listen, we know. Um, you know, there's been plenty of, of interest um, from Premier League sides. Tottenham were were one of the kind of major sides linked with him. Although, rather worryingly, there's uh, latest reports from from Tottenham suggest that they're turning their attentions to to Isaiah Jones and, and would prefer him now. But um, certainly Middlesbrough in a strong position there because Jones is contracted until 2025. And, and um, <coughs> excuse me, unless it was, um, 
you know, kind of really, really foolish money. I can't imagine there would be selling Jed Spence in the summer because he's such a an important part of of, of this project that we talk about this journey going forward. Uh, Jed Spence, though, I think is definitely one Middlesbrough will look to sell in the summer. Uh, I think he, you know, while Chris Wilder won't have closed the door completely, and his comments at the time were quite telling in terms of he he said he didn't want to throw him under the bus and he understood his decision, but. In January, Jed Spence, you know, had the option to come back to Middlesbrough and make clear he wanted to stay at Nottingham Forest. Um, and and I think ultimately, with all this interest, uh, Middlesbrough managed to give an extra 12-month extension on his contract. Uh, so he's got two years remaining on his deal with Borough. That just strengthens the position ahead of the summer in terms of negotiating. And I think, you know, the, they are going to look to sell. You see a Bayern Munich, the latest team to show interest, uh, Fabrizio Romano, obviously a, a, a big hitter in terms of transfer news, and uh, he, he claims they've already started discussions by Munich to to try and uh, and sign him in the summer. But um, an interesting picture, I think, as I say, Middlesbrough will will absolutely look to sell. Uh, all sorts of kind of figures being bandied about about how much Middlesbrough would sell for, but ultimately Middlesbrough are going to keep their cards close to the chest. They're not going to. They're not going to put out a valuation. They're not going to say we'll take this much because with so much interest, you know, if you're talking about all these various clubs um, across England and even into Europe being interested in him, uh, you know, that could drive up his price. So it would be silly of Middlesbrough to say to anybody right now, we'll take, for example, one of the prices being banded right, we'll take 12 million because there might be a club, say, for example, Tottenham might be thinking now, will sign Jed Spence, but for no more than 15 million, start negotiations. And if Middlesbrough have already said publicly they'll take 12 million, well, Tottenham don't need to, you know, Tottenham have saved themselves 3 million there. So they're, they're not going to play the play the cards in that sense. Um, you know, let, let the season play out. Let's see what Jed Spence kind of does between now and the end of the season. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm certain that he, he will move uh, and it will be a very good price for Borough. And as we mentioned earlier, that'll that'll all help um, with financial fair play and and the summer transfer window where you know ultimately Chris Wilder will be looking to uh, to put a major kind of stamp on that Borough squad and, and make it more of his own. Yeah, certainly will do. One to watch. Just to finish off, then give me a score prediction for this Millwall game. So. Uh, it, I think it'll be a, a tight, scrappy game. I think it'll be very similar in the more of the Luton game. Um, you know, on that day, Luton a very strong physical side and Borough had to show alternative qualities to, to grind out a win. Uh, I know it's on the road um, and, and that has been tricky for Borough. But what we have always seen is a reaction to feats. So I'll go for very similar to Luton. Tight, scrappy win, grind it out 2 1 Middlesbrough. Well, there you have it. Thank you very much for tuning in. Again, if you do get the chance, please like and follow the podcast and leave us a review. And head over to gazettelive.co.uk where you can keep up to date with all the latest Middlesbrough FC news, including Chris Wilder's press conference, which is at what time on Friday, Craig? Quarter past nine tomorrow morning. There you have it. So do tune in for that. I'm sure it'll be a very interesting press conference and uh, I am more I am looking forward to hearing what he's had to say and how he's going to get a reaction out of these players after that defeat to Sheffield United Craig thanks for joining us as always and uh, to you guys watching and listening 
hopefully Middlesbrough can get a win and you guys have a lovely weekend. <laughs>